is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and they gain thereof than white gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared to her. Very delicious, all the rest but it looks like you just needed a hardware reset to start. First uh, Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. Acts. 
Like you'll say, like, you know what some of these letters we have? We know he wrote it somewhere between Acts 10 and Acts 11, or, uh, or not, we'll do this later, uh, um, Acts 14 and Acts 15. Like you'll say, it was written somewhere between this time frame. And they say with um, Timothy, we can't do that. Number two, they say, um, the false teaching that Paul addresses in the epistles, um, in their mind, was the fully developed Gnosticism, and that um, Gnosticism was not prevalent until the second century. And so they'll say Paul could not have been the one that wrote this, because um, he died um, somewhere in the uh, mid or late 60s, um, uh, maybe about, about maybe um, 60, 70, 80 or so. And so they say, if Gnosticism was in full force until the second century, he could not have um, written it. Uh, number three, they say the church organized organization structure in the pastoral epistles is that of a second century church. That it, um, it is too well developed for Paul's day of having pastors lead congregations. They said that didn't happen until the church matured. Um, and, and, and group. Um, number four, um, they'll say that the pastoral epistles, Timothy's and Titus, does not have a systematic theology um, speaking of the core doctrines that Paul often wrote about um, as seen in his other epistles. Um, and another one, they say that some, there are some Greek words used and Timothy and, and Titus that are not found in any of Paul's others' writings. And so they say it must be someone else. And here's a quick rebuttal that, that remark about the historical incompatibility accusation would only hold water if Paul was never released from his first imprisonment in Rome, mentioned in Acts. But he was released. We see um, Acts does not report Paul's execution. Um, um, it, it, Paul talks about it's coming, but there's no reporting of it. We see that it had happened by the time Luke completed the book of Acts. And Paul himself expected to be released according to his writings while in prison. Philippians uh, 2.24 says, he writes to them, but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. And this is while he was in prison as well in Rome. And finally, in point two, he says, But with all, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Now, Paul was anticipating his release um, to um, happen soon. And the historical events in the pastoral epistles do not fit into the chronology, chronology of Acts. Because they happen after the close of Acts, um, after the close of Acts narrative, which ends with Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. And so 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is written while he gets imprisoned a second time, that he gets arrested again and then eventually uh, martyred. But we see that he is released, and so it makes sense that Timothy would be after the book of Acts was completed. The second argument about the Gnostic heresies 
know, we do see Gnosticism already having some beginnings in the first century. Um, uh, the Apostle John died in the first century. He did live longer than the other Apostles. He died around 95 AD or so, and he wrote a lot about the Gnostic heresies that would say that, you know, that basically Jesus is one God, the devil is another God, and that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, that he only appeared to die on the cross, and that Jesus was not actually flesh, that he was just a spirit being. Okay, we see John writes about that more than Paul does. Um, one John lived closer to that time. He lived in that time frame. The, the heresies in um, Timothy that he deals with is not actually the Gnostic heresies, but he deals with the heresies of Judaism. The, that people would say that they could add to the law, or that the law um, could be added to grace. That through works, someone could obtain salvation. That's the heresy that Paul is dealing with primarily in Timothy. It's not so much about whether Jesus was in the man form or not. Paul does talk about that some, but the main heresy he's dealing with is Judaizers. Those that would tell new believers that if you really want to get saved, you have to get circumcised first. And so that's the kind of heresies that Paul um, was dealing with. Not the Gnostic heresies. And as far as the organizational, organizational structure of having pastors and elders leading a congregation, as mentioned in the pastoral epistles, is very consistent with the pattern we see with Paul and even with we see with the early church. You have in the Jerusalem Council where another church was having issues with people coming from Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church, and coming to this other church, and there was some false teaching coming on, they wanted to get this fixed and say, hey, you know, there's false teachers coming from you, and we see that they, the apostles, the elders, heard the matter. James gave the sentence, is the lead elder of the congregation, and um, they confronted those false teachings at that time. But we see in Paul's life, as far as in establishing um, elders and, um, and bishops, um, elder, pastor, bishop, they're three functioning of the same office. Elder is kind of maturity in the word. Pastor um, is kind of more the endearment term people often use. It's actually only used one time in the New Testament. But um, um, as far as shepherding and bishop is the term used to mean overseer. Um, as far as in leading the congregation. But we see in Acts 14.23, um, when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord is on whom they believed. In Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. And so we see, just as in Timothy, when he talks about the qualifications of a bishop, he was the one that said, you know, go ordain bishops in every city. To start churches, to, to have pastors, to, to lead the congregations. And so we see, Paul, Paul's lifetime, the church was already doing that. That was not just a second century thing. 
Um, number four, the pastoral officials do mention several doctrinal things. It is, of course, not going to mention every single doctrine that Paul talked about in every other letter. Otherwise, we would only need Timothy, okay, if that was the only thing um, that he said. But we do see, we see um, that the inspiration of Scripture is mentioned in 2 Timothy 3, 15. Um, salvation, Titus 3, 5. The deity of Christ in Titus 2, 13. His work is mediator between God and man. Um, 2, 5. His substitutionary atonement in 2, 6. So these key doctrines that were mentioned elsewhere in Paul's Christ are mentioned here too. Many of them are at least. Now, in the last one, the idea that he used different words um, in one letter than another does not disqualify it, especially when the subject matter and who it is directed to is different. When Paul was writing to the churches, it's often to correct the behavior in the church or um, the false teaching, and it's written to the church at large. Okay? Here, he's writing to individuals. You think if you're writing to a congregation compared to writing an individual that it might be a little bit different? Has the letter that you wrote your husband been different than the letter you wrote to a friend? You maybe use different words? Most likely. And you don't use the same words in every single letter. And you know, the textual critics will do just about other things too. They'll say that, you know, this verse probably doesn't belong in the Bible because it's not used. Um, um, he doesn't use this language somewhere else. You know, you see that letter. You see Luke. There's a part where Luke writes, and it's not found anywhere else in Luke. doesn't mean that they're not the author. It just means they haven't written about that um, yet. And so... Um, if, if, if a pastor was to write to a another fellow pastor, the vocabulary of a personal letter probably would be different than if he's trying to teach the church about proper um, doctrine. And the evidence is pretty clear that Paul wrote 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Uh, first and Titus. 1 Timothy and Titus shortly after his release from his first Roman imprisonment, around 62 to 64, um, A.D. Um, or so, and then 2 Timothy from prison during his second Roman imprisonment, maybe between 65 and um, 67, um, maybe somewhere around there, but um, shortly before his um, death. Um, so Paul may have been in Macedonia when he wrote this, and um, Timothy would have been in Ephesus at this time. Um, um, he, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus, ordaining him as um, the bishop of the church in Ephesus. Um, so a little bit about who is Timothy. Timothy received his name, which means one who honors God, from his mother, Eunice, and grandmother Lois. Um, they were devout Jews who became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, it was when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. We see that Timothy um, was taught the Old Testament scriptures from his childhood. Um, in 2 Timothy 3.15, and that from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures. 
though he's grown up in a household, that the scriptures are being taught. You know, it's something that's really interesting right here, too, is that it says, which are able to make thee wise in the salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, what's key about here? Okay, the scriptures that Timothy would have had would have been the Old Testament scriptures. Not the New Testament scriptures as of yet, but the Old Testament scriptures. And so the Bible here is saying that in the Old Testament scriptures were enough to teach someone salvation by faith in Christ. We see Paul Lewis' argument elsewhere that Abraham was saved by grace through faith. That um, he believed God and was accounted unto him for righteousness. We see David, I mean, well, he's under the law. That um, he's saved by grace and through faith. So Timothy was from Lystra. You see that in Acts 16. 1 and 3 will turn near soon to a city in the Roman province of Galatia. Now um, part of modern um, Turkey. Um, Paul, um, I believe, led Timothy to Christ, um, even though he was learning about him from, from a young age, learning from the scriptures, um, Paul calls him my son in the faith. You know, it's possible that Timothy's dad died um, before um, meeting Paul. We don't know that for sure, but it's possible since um, he's not really specifically um, mentioned at this time. But he calls him a son in the faith. You know, usually that language is used of someone that leads someone to the Lord. Jesus, God, or Paul wrote about how, um, you know what, there are many teachers, you have many instructors, but you have one father in the faith, so to speak, that someone led you to the Lord, but then there are others that um, water the seed and, and can you grow um, thereby. And so I believe that Paul is saying that, you know what, I've led you to the Lord, you know he, and that's when you finally place your faith in Christ. You see, Timothy is known from the book of Acts. Well, in Asia Minor, on his second missionary journey, Paul invites Timothy to join him on his travels. In Acts 16, then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, and a, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish, and believed. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and to have been circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they knew all that his father was a Greek. I am so thankful that is not part of my pastoral responsibilities today. Amen. Praise God. But you see, you know what, here they were in a heavy Jewish culture, and you know what, to the Jews, you know, there was a command that God gave the Israelites um, to circumcise on the eighth day, and, uh, and, and you know, the um, Jewish people then took that um, to an extreme to teach that in order to be saved, you couldn't only believe on Jesus, but you also had to be circumcised. Okay, now that's not why Paul is having Timothy get circumcised here, um, but it is more of that testimony. To, um, but you know what, if we're going to be ministering to these people, they already know his father's in green, that he was not circumcised, so his son 
probably a place to not. And so they just did it to be above reproach. They're like, we're ministering to Jewish people, and let's just get it done. And again, praise God, that's not my ministry today. But that's something Paul and Timothy um, had to do doing. Um, later, Timothy is mentioned as a trusted partner aiding Paul's ministry. In Acts 19, we see, so he sent him to Macedonia. Two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erasmus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. Another scripture you can write down is Acts 20, verse 4. We see that um, Timothy is mentioned several times in Paul's other letters. 2 Corinthians 1 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is in Corinth. Of all the saints which are in all the pain. So Paul is basically saying, you know what? Timothy is with me as I write this letter unto you. See in Colossians 1 1, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother to the saints. Sometimes he called him Timothy, sometimes he called him Timotheus. Okay? Of course, would be the um, Greek equivalent. Uh, we see Paul sometimes sent Timothy in his place. Uh, um, in Philippians 2.19, he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Some other scriptures to see, 1 Corinthians 4.16-17, and 1 Thessalonians 3.1-2, and 2, that um, Timothy followed um, the Lord and followed Paul closely, and that Timothy would be set on Paul's behalf at times. And so now you kind of get an idea of why Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. You know, as someone he co-labored with. Someone that um, he left in Ephesus to start um, on a church or to take a church that was all already there. Uh, um, it's in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And so he leaves them there. You know what, to um, correct some of the false teaching that is going on in the church. So we see he begins, we're just going to do an overview today. I'm almost done. I'm going to do a quick overview of Timothy, and then in the coming weeks, we will um, get into the specific content um, that um, is written. But we see the greeting, and then we see um, that Paul um, writes him about how to deal with false teaching. How to deal with Paul's teachers. We then see in verse 12 and 20 that um, Paul talks about um, being faithful in ministry. And that you know, he um, counts a joy that God one counted himself faithful, putting him into the ministry. And he encouraged Timothy to be faithful to the ministry that God has given them. Paul um, stresses. Um, the importance of sound teaching warns them against useless speculations and fruitless discussions. 
um, that characterize the misguided teachings of others that have crept in the Ephesian church. And we live in a day today well, uh, where preachers are expected to not say anything negative about another teacher, to not call someone a false teacher or a false prophet. That, after all, we're not to judge others. Jesus said to um, judge not, lest he also be judged. Um, and those people that say that, you know what? They don't have to be Christians. Somehow they know it's somewhere in the Bible. Now you ask them where, you know, oh, 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 oh. Um, kind of the same way when a husband says, you know, I know somewhere in that book. He says, what? Something unto your husband. Oh, where does it say that? It's, well, it is in the Bible, but they won't know where it's at. Like, I don't know. And they miss all the part about the husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. And about how it doesn't just say wives submit unto your husbands, but it says submitting yourselves unto one another. They miss that. Okay? And so, you know, again, today, people will say, you know what? Don't judge. Okay, we're set up. It's in Matthew chapter 7. And you know, you read a little bit further in Matthew 7. Jesus says to beware of false prophets, to beware of false teachers, and that ye shall know them by their fruit. Okay, not to judge. You're supposed to be fruit inspectors. Okay? okay? What's the fruit coming from the teaching? That they're teaching. Is it coming from the Bible or is it not? Okay, when Jesus said, judge not, he was talking about hypocritical judgment where one, we're condemning a brother while we're ignoring the hypocrisy in our own lives. He says, get the beam out of your eye and then you can help your brother get the boat that's in his eye. And that, you know, when you're confronting someone about a sin or some issue, the purpose isn't to condemn. Is to help instruct, to help them get things right with the Lord. But we need to make sure we're not being hypocritical when we do that. And so Paul, you see, he begins warning about false teachers. We see in the middle, he speaks about those who depart from the faith, depart from right doctrine. And at the end, he concludes with a final warning to avoid false teachings. You know, you look throughout Acts and you look throughout his epistles. He even names them by name. And he tells us to mark them which teach doctrines contrary to what ye have received. And so part of a pastor's job is to warn against false teachers and false teachings. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. You know, that applies to me too, okay? You know, sometimes you might not like some messages. You know, that's one of my favorite teachers. But you know, sometimes it might be maybe you're unaware of some of the false teaching. And so a pastor's to bring that to light. We see he gives instructions concerning the church in chapter 2, verse um, 1, and all the way to chapter 3, verse 16. You see, he talks about the importance of prayer. The need to pray even for our rulers, our leaders. You know, the Bible doesn't say to pray for our rulers only if we like it. Praying for their salvation. 
know, I prayed for the salvation of Joe Biden of Kamala Harris. They need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And now there may be times where you know what we see is John the Baptist preached about the sins of Herod and the things um, they was doing wrong. It cost him his head. But sometimes preachers are to proclaim against those evils as well. You see, John McGarfer, Pastor John McGarfer, just wrote to Governor Newsom in California. Very direct and bold letter talking about the destruction he's leading the state. That um, he calls him out for. Um, Governor Newsom is um, using billboards and quoting Jesus in support of abortion, of slaughtering infants. And he quotes Jesus in the billboard of love thy neighbor as thyself. And so, Pastor, you know what? He wrote unto the governor. You know what? There's sometimes a place um, for that. Doesn't mean he's not praying for him. You know, in the letter he says, you know, they're praying for him. See, the Bible talks about um, women in the church. Different responsibilities. And they'll be controversial today. But you know what? Um, it's not controversial for men to submit to Christ, is it? Shouldn't be. You know, God's created an order um, in, in, in the church. Um, we see qualifications for pastors and deacons are mentioned in chapter 3. Paul mentions why he wrote this letter. And it exists in, in that passage that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, in the church of God. That is the pastor. This is how you're to pastor. This is how the congregation is to um, be. You see, he gives some examples of false teachings. You know, it mentions very specific false teachings that were going on in the church at Ephesus. We see a description of a true teacher, some marks of a, of a true preacher of the gospel. We see um, responsibilities of the church in chapter 5 and um, chapter 6. We see, um, it talks about the church family relationships. Of the brothers and sisters in the Lord and um, how we're to treat um, one another. We see he talks about the responsibility to widows indeed. That a widow that has no family to care for them and the responsibility for the church to do what they can to minister to these widows. We see the responsibility uh, of the congregation to the pastors and to and, uh, to the elders. We see um, the responsibility um, of service to their masters. And now in the Bible, you know, we'll go look in here. The Bible is supporting slavery. Uh, one, Paul is in here uh, condemning or condoning it here. Here he's just saying, basically saying, it's a fact of life. This is how it responds. But the slavery that was in the Bible, as far as um, the kind that we see that the Israelites did, was not the slavery um, that we saw in America, um, um, where someone from Africa would um, sell their own people 
um, to America that a man would then buy um, this slave and then have this slave. That's not what the slavery was like in the Bible. Usually in the Bible, it was often sometimes a prisoner of war. Sometimes it was someone that owed someone debt and they um, put themselves under the yoke and said, hey, you know what, I can't pay this. Um, could I work for you? And then that man would basically live as a slave until those debts would um, be paid. And so, and the Bible tells them how to treat um, those types of slaves. But so we see Paul, um, those that we'll get into that more um, later. We see again a description of false teachers, uh, uh, specific descriptions. We see um, Paul talking about the importance of contentment. Now, learn to be content will help alleviate a lot of depressing thoughts. You know, you learn to be content in the Lord, oh, it will spare you from a lot of grief. It talks about the importance as a pastor and in the congregation to learn to be content. It talks about the root of all evil. You know, the root of all evil is not money. The Bible says the root of all evil is the love of money. And there is a, um, a difference. Money is amoral. Okay? You know, money itself isn't bad. Money itself isn't good. Okay? It's how it is used. We look at a lot of evil all around the world. What's the root cause of it? It's the love of money. That they're willing to do anything, given evil. To obtain. Bible teaches, you know what? Enjoy the fruit of your labor. You know, work with your hands. You know what? Earn a living and enjoy the fruit of your labor that you don't need to feel guilty if you are made wealthy. Okay? But that there should not be the love of money because that leads to the root of all evil. We see that he tells Timothy to fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight. And he does give a charge to the rich. Okay, that you know, if people are wealthy, there can be some temptations that maybe are not there for the poor. And so he does deal with, hey, how to handle um, your finances and how to not to trust in these uncertain riches. And to be a blessing by communicating with others financially. So he does give a charge to the rich. And you know what? He ends with again, don't be tricked by fake sons, false teachings. You know, we live in today where there's a lot of fake sons. They say, believe the science, trust the science, and they, 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 they hypocritically don't even follow their own things. And you know, you think about some, you know, we won't get into all day, but you talk about, you know what, the people that make the biggest deal about climate change are the ones that are flying. Um, in private jets, flying them to their conferences about telling us how um, um, we need to put driving cars and go electric. Well, the private jet's not electric. And they'll be like, oh, well, I, I, I pay money, so it offsets it. Doesn't change a thing. I mean, here, you know, you deal with others. You know what? Be careful that there would be fake signs that would be used to try to lead you astray. Calls it science falsely so called. 
And so it's just a brief outline overview of the first book of Timothy, first epistle of Timothy, and um, we'll continue on getting into the book next week. Um, anybody have any questions? Questions? All right. Well, God bless you. Fellowship. Be friendly.